Open your Bibles with me to Psalms chapter 20. Can I have a drink of water? Thank you. See how good that is? She is accurate. She's used to throwing things at me. (laughs) We uh, started last week just talking about faithful. And the generation that we live in, uh, it's very important that we understand what faithful is and we understand faithfulness. As we go through this little series of messages and we really get there today, talking about the faithfulness of God. You know, we all have made mistakes. We've all run into challenges. We've made wrong decisions. And one of the most important things for us to understand is that God is faithful. He's a faithful, faithful God. We have that place where 1 John chapter 1 tells us that when we make a mistake, if we're willing to admit that God is faithful, everybody say God's faithful. And God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. People may not be faithful and just. People might not want to forgive us for the mistakes that we've made, but God is faithful and just to forgive us. And I believe that is because God always sees eternally. He doesn't see temporally. And he knew there would be an enemy out there to attack us, and that's why he sent Jesus, that the power of that sin would be broken over our lives, that we might be able to live for God every day of our life. Because living for God is a better plan than just living for ourselves. Living for God is a better plan than living just for someone else to make them happy. But to live for God means to live for and with the one who created us. It's to live in a divine destiny that goes beyond this life and into eternity. And so when we come upon things that may make you uncomfortable, as we talk about faithfulness, maybe you, you, you weren't faithful at a time, you weren't there we're always going to go back to the faithfulness of God because God's good. His mercy endures forever and ever and ever. And I believe in the day that we live in as we look at that and, and we begin to realize, you know, we live in a generation that is not marked by faithfulness, but they're marked by unfaithfulness. If you look at how much overturn, if you're an employee, an, uh, an employer, the job turnover, how many people come and go in any given year and the the, the, the rate that that takes, if we begin to look at marriages and Christian marriages end up as broken as the marriages in the world, uh, you know, there's just situations of life that we continually see that it's easier to quit than it is to press through. But God didn't make us that way because God's eternal, God's not temporal. God wants to raise us up to see beyond what we see today. The Bible tells us that we look not at the seen, but the unseen for one reason, because the seen is temporary, but the unseen is eternal. That God wants us to understand that he has something far better to bring to pass, and he's willing to stay with us through the course. He's willing to stick with us through the the tragedy. He's still willing to stick with us through the triumph. He's willing to stick through us through the good times and the bad. He's willing to stay with it so that he might bring a fulfillment into our lives that only he can bring. That nothing in this world can bring the same fulfillment that God has. And so many people, you may be even sitting in this room saying, I've been a Christian for a number of years, and I'm still looking for that fulfillment. But see, it, when we stay with God, we grow in going, knowing him better. You begin to know what fulfillment is because you're not trying to get to a place. You're walking with him, and he's fully filling you. The idea is I don't try to get something so I feel fulfilled. It says that Jesus came to fill us with all the fullness of himself. 
And then if we don't embrace that, we're always embracing something else. We're full of something else. Your friends might have told you that at one time or another, that you're full of it. But they're not talking about Jesus. They're talking about something else. And many times we get full of many other things and we wonder, where is God? What's God doing? And we really, we filled our life with everything else. But he says, like, if we could empty that out and you could walk with me, I would fill you to overflowing with not only everything that I have, but he said, I'll fill you with everything that I am. See, we're looking for everything that God has, but the only way that you can get everything that God has is to get everything that he is. And he knows that, and he said, I have made you to partake of my very life. So you don't just get everything that I have, you get everything that I am. And he's a faithful, faithful God. So I want to read a couple of scriptures to launch out this morning. Please write these down. If you don't follow along, go, go back and look at them over your devotion time or your study time this week so that you can feed on his faithfulness and understand that. Psalms chapter 20, starting verse 5, it says, we rejoice in your salvation. I love that. We rejoice in your salvation. Some people wake up in the morning and they forget they're saved. He says, we rejoice in your salvation. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. He said, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, some in politicians. Oh, sorry, I added that myself. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. We are not a people who trust in all the circumstances around us, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21, it says, this I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. Come on, if we're going to have an expectation of life that is good, it's about God, we are going to have to recall some things to mind. See, we think in, in order to have hope, somebody else has to do for us. But right here, he tells us that he recalls things to mind. And because he's recalling these things to mind, he has hope. You know, the psalmist in the 103rd Psalm, he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. See, he had to recall to mind. His soul was trying to go a different direction. His emotions were trying to get down and get, get like there was nothing to praise God about. But he said, listen, soul, snap up for a moment. We're going to praise God. We're going to bless the Lord. Why? Because we're not going to forget his benefits. He is the one who forgives all my iniquities. He's the one who heals all my diseases. He's the one who crowned me with loving kindness and tender mercies. He's the one that renews my youth. He's the one that fills my mouth with good good things. He's the one. And so if I will stop in a moment and bless the Lord, instead of all the stuff around me, instead of all that's going on in the world, if I will stop and begin to recall and remind myself of these things, a hope begins to stir on the inside of us. He says, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Thank God. Anybody made a mistake that you know is against the word of God? Five of us, thank you. The rest of you made a mistake by lying. <laughs> Anybody ever done anything against the word of God? How many of you know that the wages of sin is death? How many of you are dead? Thank God for his mercies. 
Some of you. We got a couple of people over here who are dead. But thank God for his mercy. See, we get rolling through life, and we're just like, I'm casually going through life. We need to remember the mercies of God. It's the mercies of God that we're not consumed. We've made enough mistakes that if we got what we deserved, we would be in trouble. But thank God for his mercy. Thank God for his grace. We're not getting what we deserve. We're getting what Jesus purchased for us through his own blood. He said, Those, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. Everybody say, the Lord is faithful. faithful. I love that. Great is your faithfulness, O God. How do I know that? Because your mercies and your compassion is new every single day. The devil wants you to get up in the morning and go, oh, my gosh. You know, we like to say that. You know, you could say, well, that's easy for you to say, Pastor. Well, I don't know why we always think it's easier for somebody else to say. You got Monday, I got Monday. You know, everybody has that. Monday, Monday, can't trust that day. Come on, we all got to get up on Monday. But on Monday, his mercies and compassions are brand new. And on Tuesday morning, no matter what you did Monday, his mercies and compassion are brand new. Whatever happens on Tuesday, you wake up Wednesday and his mercies and compassions are brand new. You say, how can you say that? And don't say that too much, Pastor, because people will just mess up on Tuesday because you'll forgive them on Wednesday. They'll think they're getting away with something. Listen, when you know what you've done and you know that his mercy has come upon you, you don't take it for granted. It's very humbling to know that you're not getting what you deserve, that God's mercies come on you. See, people who take that for granted don't actually know the mercies of God. They think they're getting away with something. But when you know the mercies of God are new every morning, it brings hope for you tomorrow. Because tomorrow, he's forgiven me, he's washed me. Tomorrow doesn't have to be the same as today and yesterday, but it can be better. Because great is his faithfulness. Everybody say, God's faithful. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 says this. This is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he is faithful. He will not deny himself. Listen, if God has said it, he will do it. You might not see it now on the blessing side, but he will do it. Some people think they're getting away with something. God will never do it. He will do it. What he has said, he will do. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, Paul said this. He said, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift. Isn't that something? He's just saying, Christ came to you and brought gifts to you. God's desire is that you fall short in no gift. That's his plan for you. That's his plan for us, that we fall short in no gift, but that we allow God to bring us to a place by his grace that we fall short in no good thing, no gift, 
He goes on to say, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. Everybody say, God is faithful. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's a powerful thing to know that God is faithful. He'll never deny himself. He'll always be true to his word. His word is forever settled in heaven. God is faithful towards you. He's faithful towards me every single day. As we begin to open this up about faithfulness, last week we went to Matthew chapter 25. We read that whole parable. I'm just going to touch base and move on today. But in that parable, many of us have read it. It's the parable of the talents. The, the landowner, the Lord over the, 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 the land there, he came and he gave one servant five talents, he gave one servant two, and he gave another one one. And he, he lets us know at the beginning of that parable, he said, I didn't shortchange anyone, I've watched them, I gave to each one according to their own ability. In other words, each one had a fair shot, equal shot, equal chance, which speaks something to the landowner that he wasn't making one do more than the other, he had examined he did each one to their own ability. He set them up for success, right? So he went away to a far land. He came back, and they had to give an account. The first one came back with his five talents. He said, look, I made five more talents. He said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been <coughs> faithful over little. You'll receive much. Enter into the joy of your Lord. In other words, he said, you have done a good job. I'm going to give you a promotion and give you the opportunity to have partnership. Sounds like a good master a good boss, doesn't it? Give you stock options. You did a good job. So the second one came back and said, here's two talents. You gave me two. I give you two more. He said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Uh, uh, you've been faithful with little. I'll give you much. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Another one wasn't as big. He didn't give him as much money, but he gets to get a promotion and he gets to come in, has an opportunity for partnership. So it's, it's looking good. It looks like this is a good boss. This is a good Lord. I mean, he's treating his employees, his, his people awesome. They're doing a good job. All of a sudden we come to this one who has one and the story changes. Something's really odd about this story, right? So the one who has one stops and we've just read, this, this master examined things before he distributed, he didn't just go, you know what, I don't, I, I don't think you're able to handle it, but here's five, do it anyway. No, he looked at it, so he was a fair man, he promoted them when they did a good job, he gave them an opportunity to enter into the joy of the Lord to be a partner, this is a good boss, but all of a sudden, this one who has won, he comes to give an account, and immediately he says this, listen, I, I'm going to give you back exactly what you gave me, and you should be happy with that. And the reason I'm only giving you back what you gave me is because you're, I have heard you to be a hard person, very rough on people. And so I was afraid of you, and I buried it. So it's easy all the time when you don't know who it is that you're serving, what they've gone through, to always say, I didn't do anything, and it's your fault. And that's what he was doing. He was saying, I didn't do anything. The commitment seemed to be too big. The time restraint seemed to be too big. So I just left it, and now you're back, and here. You should be happy I didn't spend it. The attitude of this unfaithful servant, he called it wicked. And really, when you come around to examining it, not only did he say, you're wicked for the reason we said last week, he said, you know what? You are a hard man. He called him wicked because the Bible says, do not call good evil or evil good or bitter sweet. We know that this was a good master. This was a good man based on what he did and how he set it up. And so he called a good man a bad man for his own excuse sake. So he said, first of all, that's wicked. 
He said, secondly, because you don't know me, you're t- you hurt, have bad information, you're saying that you're afraid of me and that I'm a shrewd man and I reap where I didn't sow and I, I, I do the things that I didn't. He said, if you even believed your own excuse, you would have at least got me interest. So two things, you're blaming me and you don't even know me. You're calling me a bad and hard person and I'm obviously not. And secondly, if you really believed what your excuse is, you would have done something different than you did. But the end is, you just did not follow through. You quit. And you acted badly because you had bad information. You didn't know what would be the outcome of your faithfulness, so you chose your own way, enjoyed your own time, and now, at the time of accounting... You didn't know you were going to get a great reward, and so you made an excuse. And all that proceeds from not knowing the master who he served. As Christians in the body of Christ, so often we're unaware. We have bad information. We make bad decisions based on bad information. We got information like God wants to send people to hell, and if you sin, God's going to club you down. He's going to mess you up. And so we're afraid of God, but if we knew him, we know that he loves us. But just what we read, his mercies are new every morning. His compassions are new every morning. They fail not. God is a loving God. He will always be a loving God. He will never send anyone to hell. Listen to me. I know you all think this will be blasphemy, so don't close your ears. He's not sending people to hell. People will choose to go to hell. God did not send his son into the world to condemn them to hell. He came to rescue them from hell. And when they refuse his rescue, they will end up where they were going before he ever came. You have bad information. If you run away from God because you think he's sending you to hell, that he's a harsh God, you have bad information and thus you are making bad decisions. If you knew that he came to rescue you from an eternal torment and separation from him, you would embrace him. We make bad decisions based on bad information all the time. But see, the two that multiplied themselves, they came in and they knew their master. I believe that they watched their master. They watched how he had started from nothing and he built something. And after he built something, he was able to bring them on and hire them into what he had built. And they watched how he grew it and they watched and obeyed him. And they were ready now to have stuff delegated to them. And they reproduced it, not just because they did something with what was in their hands, but they did what the master wanted them to do. And the highest level of faithfulness is not even doing what the master wants you to do, but it's doing what he would have done with it. And I believe these guys doubled it. They came and said, you're a great master. We've watched you take what you had, and we doubled it. And we have it in our culture today, even in our Christian culture, when we go to work and somebody gives us a job, we immediately say, wow, this master, this, this boss is asking us to do far too much. We're do- He's hard on us, but God's saying, don't do that because you're my child. And God has told us in every single area of life, he said, when you go to work, don't think that you're working for that boss, you're working for me. When you get into that marriage, don't think that it's all about you. I ordained that marriage to be, and she's my daughter and he's my son. Those children, they're mine. 
See, God has a plan that says, whatever you do in word or deed, you do unto me. Why? Because when we, re- we understand that he's the master of all things, we begin to look down at what he's created and what part he's given to us and how we multiply what he has already done through Jesus Christ so that people's lives can be changed. And in the natural, it looks like this, that if I start a business and I build a business to the point that I need someone to work with me. That means I've been diligent. I've been faithful to build something. And when I bring you on to help me and I give you a portion of that and you say, wow, you're a hard person. I don't even know why you gave me this job and make me work. And all you do is give me back what you started with. You haven't done what I would do with the business because I grew it to the point that I needed someone else. But you don't, when you don't think you just deserve, when you come on and say, man, how did you do this? How did you grow this business? How did you continue to multiply this? I want to be a part of this. And you grow it and multiply it, then guess what? Then you have to hire somebody else. And guess who's first in line to be given a promotion to delegate and oversee these new people that are coming on to the size of business? You are. Because you haven't thought it was a hard thing. You saw the faithfulness that it took to build something, and it will take that faithfulness again to grow it again. And we're not just dragging along saying, I'm just here to be here and you owe me a paycheck, but we're here to help things grow and to multiply. One of our number one commands as believers started in Genesis, be fruitful and multiply. You're not entitled to something. When somebody's grown something and built something and given you a part of it, you're not entitled to it. It's their life. It's their hard work. It's their blood, sweat, and tears. And we look at it in our culture and say, you're making money off my back. You wouldn't be making any money if they hadn't broken their back to get it to that point to give you a job. Come on, church. I'm not chewing you out, but I'm just telling you that we have an opportunity to rise up and understand the faithfulness of God and serve faithfully and be a light wherever we go. Be a light in our family. Be a light in our jobs. Be a light in our community. If you're a business owner, have that marketplace ministry where you understand that you have this business to create jobs for people to be blessed through what you've created. God's calling us to a higher level of faithfulness to be a light in the world, but we'll never do it if we don't know the one who we're serving. We'll make bad information based on, bad decisions based on bad information. And so in Psalms 37, it says, do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. He said, listen, there might be evildoers all around you. There might be envious people, people who are doing wrong. He said, listen, eventually their own works will cut them out. Stay where God planted you. Stay where God planted you. Trust in him, do good, and feed on his faithfulness. Feed on his faithfulness. So we just want to feed on that just a little bit today in an understanding of him. Number one, we're going to go through about four things over the next couple weeks, but the first thing that we want to talk about is someone who is faithful is always there. Someone who is faithful is always there. When we look at it in the natural, sometimes we think, you know what? I've been at work every day. In fact, I've been there for three years. 
And here's Billy Bob. He's only been there for two years. How come he got up for promotion? Generally, I know there's, there's off instances, but generally, how did the guy who, who was there two years, two and a half years, you've been there three years, get a promotion? Because they weren't just there for two and a half years or three years. They were there, you went home at five, and they were there at five, till 5.30. The day, the day that you know, they needed someone else to show up because they had extra to do and you couldn't show up, they showed up. They were there. There's something about faithfulness to being there. Right, where do we get that? Where do we even get that notion? We get it from God, the God who we serve. Because God is faithful and he's always there. Psalms 46, 1 says, God is our, this is from the Amplified. It says, God is our refuge and our strength, mighty and impenetrable to temptation, a very present and well-proved help in t- trouble. Therefore, we do not fear, though the earth should change and though the mountains be shaken into the midst of the sea. It says, listen, we're not afraid. Why? Because though the mountains be shaken, though the world seems to be coming apart at the seams, he is ever present with me. God is always with me wherever I go. He's an ever-present help in time of trouble. See, our mindset, we don't know him, and we think, God, you should be here in my time of trouble. Why aren't you here in my time of trouble? Where are you when I need you? And he says, I'm right here. You just don't realize it. He's an ever-present help. See, he knows where we are. We just don't know where he is. As we walk through the scripture, we begin to see it on every front. In in Genesis chapter 28, Jacob is on his journey. He's got to find a wife. He's going through that. You know, if you know Jacob, he's done a lot of things. He, he, He deceived his dad to get the family blessing. He's got some stuff going on in his life. But in the midst of this journey, he sets up to go to bed one night, puts his head near a rock, goes to sleep, and he has a dream, and heaven opens up to him. And he watches angels ascending and descending, and then God speaks to him. He says, behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. If we only knew how many times God was with us, and we did not know it. We would have responded differently. See, we had bad information. God's not here. If God was here, God would have done something different. If God was here, you wouldn't be in this problem. That's bad information. God is with us wherever we are. And if we knew that God was there, we would have responded differently. And in fact, Jacob right here, if you read on, he didn't know that God was there. But then when he realized God is here and God said he would be with me, therefore, he is my God. In other words, he said, I found a faithful God that I didn't know would be there all the time, and God said he'd be with me, and so I'll be with him. It's a divine connection. When I learn the faithfulness of God, how can I not be faithful to God? That depth of relationship grows. We say it in the church. It's not a religion. It's a relationship, but we ignore everything that has to do with relationship. God should be faithful to me, but I don't even know where he's at. No, faithfulness and relationship determines that I know God is with me, and I am with him. And we join in that walk. But I can't be with him if I don't know that he's with me. And this is what Jacob found out. If you read a little bit farther in Genesis, we see the story of Joseph. And Joseph had a dream. God gave him a dream about great things to happen. 
And you know the story. Joseph told his brothers the dream, and his brothers hated him. He went from being his dad's favorite child. I know parents always say we don't have any favorites. But listen, he, his dad gave him a robe of many colors. His dad said, basically, here's the princely robe. You're my favorite. Parents always have to say that they don't have a favorite, but they do. Ask my mom. She has to tell all my brothers and sisters that she has no favorites. But you can ask my dad. My dad says, oh, no, Mark's her favorite. They have not yet thrown me in a pit, though. <laughs> and so, so his brothers hate him, and they throw him in a pit. They were going to kill him, but thank God for the oldest brother that says, we probably shouldn't kill him, but look, at there's some slave traders over there. Let's just sell him into slavery and tell Dad he's dead. I mean, that'll take the wind out of your sails in a heartbeat. God gave me a dream. I just want to tell you all you're going to bow down to me someday. And they say, watch this, <laughs> throw you in a pit, sell you into slavery, right? So he gets into slavery, gets sold into Potiphar's house. And then in Genesis chapter 39, verse 1, he's gone through all this stuff and it declares, but the Lord was with Joseph. It's so cool. And the Lord was with Joseph. And subsequent to that, it says that Potiphar could see that the Lord was with Joseph. So once Joseph knew the Lord was with him, he was confident that the Lord was with him. The one that ruled over him saw that the Lord was with him, and guess what he did? Potiphar gave him rule over his whole house. Listen, man, when people that you work for see that God is with you, it changes a lot. When you know God is with me, God is faithful. He's with me wherever I go. And you have that faith and that confidence in him. Other people will see that on you. Changes everything. So Potiphar puts him over his, his house, everything. And Potiphar's wife got a little attracted by this young guy who had charge over everything. And so she came to him. And she said, why don't you just sleep with me? Why don't you have sex with me? And Joseph said, no, that would be against God. And God is with me, and I'm with God. And I'd rather be with God than with you, because you are trouble. Sometimes when we recognize God is with us, it's easier to recognize that something else is trouble. When we don't recognize God is with us, we make bad decisions based on bad information. That is, oh, God's back at church on Sunday, so Wednesday it's okay for me to do this. Bad decision. God's not back at church on Sunday. God's with you wherever you go. And so he just said, I'd rather be with God. She said, fine, I'm going to, that makes me mad. Number of men have slept with me. Who are you to reject me? She screams, calls rape, and he gets thrown in prison. And most of us would go, no way, I'm not doing this anymore. But it tells us just a chapter later that he's down there in jail, and guess what it says? The Lord was with Joseph. We're like, if the Lord was with Joseph, why did God ever let him get thrown into jail? God didn't let him get thrown into jail. Potiphar's wife had him thrown in jail. Didn't you read the book? See, we get bad information. God let him get thrown into jail. God didn't let him get thrown into jail. Potiphar's wife threw him in jail. 
God was with him while he went. So we're missing something here. Y'all are looking at me like a calf at a gate. So it doesn't matter where you go. God didn't send you there. God's going there with you. Why did God let this happen? We don't know all that. God's with you wherever you go. That makes the difference. If you're at the highest height and God's with you, it makes the highest heights better. If you're at the lowest low, if God's with you, it makes the lowest low better. If God's with you, the highest height is not fulfilling. And if you're at the lowest low, it is destructive and will kill you. But you will be at lows and you will be at highs. But when Jesus is with you at the high, it's much better high. And when he's with you at the low, you know I'm not staying down here because he ain't staying long. And so we go through the lows, but we go through the lows with him, not without him. And again, he's in the prison and God is with him. And guess what? Just guess what? How could it be? The head of the prison actually realizes, wow, God is with Joseph. And guess what happens to Joseph? They put everything in the prison under Joseph's charge. He got promoted again. How in the world could that happen? God gives him another dream. Or he gives him an interpretation to a dream, excuse me. Moves him up to Pharaoh's house. Pharaoh puts him in charge of everything to fulfill the God, dream God gave him. Why didn't God just fulfill the dream and send him there? If God was with him, why didn't God just take him to the top? Because, again, we have bad information. If you are going to rule a nation, that first of all, you have to stockpile all kinds of goods, and it's about to go into seven years of famine. If you think for a moment that corrupt people aren't going to try to bribe you and twist you and corrupt you, you're mistaken. So why did he encounter Potiphar's wife? Because if he could resist that temptation, he could resist the corruption that would try to tempt him. Why was God with him after his brothers threw him in the pit? Because he knew at the top of Egypt... There would be people who hated him and wanted to bring him down, but he had to trust God. There are things that God has planned for you that when you feel like quitting because you shouldn't be there, and if God was with you, you wouldn't be there, you need to have better information. God puts you there to take you through, so when you get to the higher place, that thing will not destroy you. He said, if you can be faithful with me in the pit, if you can be faithful with me in Potiphar's house, if you can be faithful with me in the jail, in the prison, I can raise you to the top of the dream I gave you, being confident that you won't be corrupted by that place because you could never be corrupted knowing I am with you wherever you go. Somebody say, God's faithful. Come on. God is so faithful. Praise the Lord. In Daniel chapter 3, you can read it, just another story, just to let you know. You know, these three guys, I love these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right? They're serving a king who wants everybody to bow down to them, but they're going to be faithful to God. They know their God. They know the one they serve. Right? And so they don't bow down. Nebuchadnezzar brings them in, and he says, hey, y'all, you need to bow down. You know, he gave a decree. 
When all the musicians played, bow down. They don't bow down. Somebody reports them. Isn't that the way it is? How could the person who have reported you have been bowing down? What were you looking at? You should have been looking down. Anyway, they reported them. I digress. They reported them. They bring them before the king. They said, king, uh, we're not going to bow down. So king got really mad. This is what people will do. You say, no, I'm going to serve God. I'm not going the way of the world. People will get mad. They'll get manipulated. They'll, they'll try to scare you. Well, it's going to get this much worse. They said, so we don't care. Turn it up seven times hotter. What you don't realize, and again, I'm, I'm kind of wandering here, but we'll get back to the point. What you don't realize, if you've been here a long time, you've heard me say this too. What you don't realize is they would have died in that furnace. And so this is the way the enemy is. I got you. Okay, if you got me, just do something. I'm going to turn it seven times hotter. It's just to intimidate you. You were going to die in the furnace anyway. What does seven times hotter have to do with anything? Nothing. When you say no, and then he goes, whoa, I'm going to make it worse. It's bad enough the way it is. I said no, I'm going to serve God, it means it. But he's trying to get you to shake seven times harder. Oh my God, I better not serve God, I better serve you. Come on, man. They were going to die in there anyway, they knew it. They said, Poof. so he got mad, went to throw him in the fire, right? So hot that the guards died throwing him in. That's how hot it was. They pushed him in, they fell bound into the fire. Nebuchadnezzar's watching. He said, boys, we have an issue. What's the issue, O king? Um, we threw three guys bound in the fire, right? Yes, sir, O king, three guys. We got a problem. Somebody's in there with them. And I think he's the son of God. Come on. So the fourth man in the fire is just like the son of God. Somebody say, God's faithful. God's faithful. See, we think, well, why would God even let him get in the fire if he's, if he's a faithful God? So he could show up with him. We're like, I don't want to get thrown in the fire. How much better is it to get thrown in the fire, have Jesus show up, come out of the fire, and not even smell like smoke? See, we as believers, we go through the fire, and we got to have a testimony. See my eyebrows? See the hair on my eye? See? Man, I'm singed. Smell that? I don't know about what, how, five, eight years ago, something, they had the ladies' conference here. And so Tasha wanted to have a fire pit. You know, we have these metal fire pits out there, and it was snowing like crazy. <clears throat> so you all can imagine what happened. I poured a bunch of fuel on all the stuff that was wet. I poured way more. I've, I've done this before, but apparently I wasn't paying attention because I got a lot. I lit the match and went, whew. and I mean, I, was, I thought I was standing far back. I went, whew. it goes, whew. and so I went, whoa. So I came back in the door, and Tasha's like, what happened to you? I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, your eyebrow, well, this eyebrow's about gone, and this one's all crinkled up. And then she's like, you stink. Come on. And that's how we think is a great testimony when people are like, oh, my God, you stink. Where have you been? Oh, God, I've been through the fire. 
God wants to say, I want to be with you with the fire. And when you come out, your testimony is, I've been to hell and back, and I don't even smell like smoke. See, there's a fragrance. There's a fragrance of being burned in your fire that smells like singed hair, and it stinks. But the Bible also says, thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. And through that victory releases a fragrance of the knowledge of him. We can either smell like victory coming out of the fire or we can smell like smoke. Somebody say God's faithful. faithful. Lastly, Joshua, if you read Joshua, he's about ready to take about three million people into the promised land, a new generation. And he starts getting a little bit concerned there in Joshua chapter 1. He has to take them in. Moses couldn't take in the previous generation because they were doubting. Joshua's already been in to spy out the land. And when it wasn't his responsibility, he was pretty good with like, let's go up at once and take the land. But then he's kind of questioning. And God says, listen, get into my word, meditate in it day and night and night and day. He said, be strong and very courageous. Why would God say that to him? Because he's not feeling as strong as courageous as he thought he might. God says, be strong and very courageous. And I believe Joshua is saying, okay, God, but I got these, these young people, this generation that just grew up here, and I got, and God's like, ah, 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 Be strong and courageous. Okay, God, but we got a big, ah, 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 strong and courageous. Okay, God, why am I going to be strong and courageous? Because I'm going to be with you wherever you go. I'm going to be with you wherever you go. Wherever you go. Come on. Hebrews chapter 13 tells us that Jesus will never leave us and he will never forsake us. You might have made a mistake that you think, you know what, there's no way God could ever forgive me. When we're faithless, God is faithful. I'm in the midst of something. Where's God when I need him? He's with you wherever you go. God, I need help in my marriage. He's with you wherever you go. God, I need help with my teenage kids. He's with you wherever you go. God, why is this happening if you're with me? Because I'm with you to get through it for where we're going. He's with you wherever you go. Even if we've missed it, we're faithless. He's faithful. He will never deny himself. If we will confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Somebody say, God is faithful. faithful. Come on, we're going to keep moving on this. But right now, it could look like you could wake up Monday and things could look totally different. Tuesday, totally different. 2020 started off and every day it seems like things are changing and what the rules are and what the situation is and who's going to do what and where and it's ever changing but God does not change he's the same yesterday today and forever and he's a faithful God and when you can't count on the world you can't count on the government you can't count on other people he's a faithful 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 God and we know that he's faithful, and we embrace his faithfulness just like Jacob and say, God, if you're going to go with me tomorrow, I'm going with you. I'm not quitting. I'm not stopping. I'm staying with you all the way through it. Stand up with me. Father, we thank you. We praise you.